0: Chico Life Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to have you with us another Monday evening where we have the opportunity to reflect upon this very rich topic of witness. And if you are tuning in from outside of the country, uh, we welcome you. I I noticed that the countries of uh, Latvia and Georgia are now on the map, so uh, we welcome you here in the friendly confines of Chico, California. And, and I, I'm most excited for this evening's program because if you are a faithful listener to this radio program, you know that we have been focusing on uh, this vocation within the vocation. Ultimately, uh, the saying yes to God in our uh, daily journey of faith, Uh, that each and every Monday we are doing more than just hitting the refresh button and playing the same program. Uh, We take up this theme of witness and we apply it to different walks of life, various walks of life. And three weeks ago, we had the opportunity to have... uh, uh, Deacon Steve Schwartz with us from St. John the Baptist Catholic Church here in Chico, as well as uh, Deacon Paul uh, a couple weeks ago. And so this week I am most excited because I have the pastor of St. John the Baptist Catholic Church with me this evening, uh, Father Jason Clark. So, Father Jason, it is great to have you with me this evening. Well, thanks, Joe. Pleasure to be here. Uh, so, you know, I've had actually some parishioners pull me aside and <laughs> ask me, so, when are you going to get Father Jason on? And so, again, it is great to have you with me. You know, one of the themes uh, that has been running itself pretty strong over these past few weeks, over the past few months, really, is uh, this reality of discernment. And certainly when you start talking about one's journey and, and discernment into the priesthood, it, it is going to be unique a priest is set apart. As I like to say, you know, a priest is is like the town clock, you know, everyone's looking. And so for someone to say yes to the priesthood, they must have been moved deeply. I always find the discernment of one who becomes a priest to be unique. And you're here to tell that unique story. And I think our listeners are itching to hear of the uniqueness of of your call.
1: Sure. well, Well, thanks, Joe. Um, I started out um, going to Catholic school, went from grades one to eight, and I think it was there that the seed of the vocation was really planted. Uh, we had sisters that taught us, and we had a, a great, great priests there, and the sisters would often suggest that we think about ourselves, the, the boys uh, becoming priests, and the girls to think about becoming sisters. They would often encourage us to think of their vocation, and the sisters themselves lived their uh, teaching vocation with such a a joy um, and such a a selfless giving that it was kind of natural for us to think of that ourselves. Mm. So I would often reflect on becoming a priest. And like I said, I'm sure that's where the seeds of the vocation were Mm. planted. I I went to a a public high school uh, in the next town over. And by the way, uh, I grew up in rural southern Indiana. Right, so I'm kind of a country bumpkin. Um, so I, at, at this Catholic or at this uh, public high school that I attended, really the thought of the priesthood kind of left. And I really, during those years, didn't have a real deepening of my faith or my friendship with the Lord Jesus. So the, for me to be Catholic was uh, just to go to Mass on a Sunday um, and confession now and again and the religion classes that they would have for us during the week. But it wasn't something that I was trying to live. Mm -hmm. Um, It wasn't a relationship with Jesus that I was trying to have. I then spent a year at Indiana University in Bloomington. Mm. And I was trying to think about what I wanted to do with my life because I hated studying. You know, I'd go to the (laughs) library with uh, friends, you know, and everybody would find a little cubbyhole. And in 20 minutes, I'm ready for a break,
0: Uh you know, of an hour. (laughs) Go watch the Hoosiers play basketball? <laughs> yes, exactly. So I
1: really thought, well, if I'm going to be studying these things and I'm going to be uh, you know, engaging in this kind of intellectual formation, I should at least want to do it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so one day, uh, after having a look at all the possible course options and the majors I could take, uh, I just said, you know, I don't know what to do, but I, I think it'll jump out at me. And it never did. So one day I said to God in my dorm room, God, I'm sick and tired of thinking about what i should do with my life what do you want me to do mm. Mm. and uh, that that was a very interesting moment because it was as if this thought had been placed into my my mind and that the thought was worded like this you could be a priest mm. it wasn't a command you know nobody shaking a finger from heaven saying you must be a priest or be condemned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, but rather a kindly invitation. Yeah. That if you want, you could be a priest. Other things you could do, but if you wanted, you could become a priest. And mm. so, actually, I laughed to myself. You know, I laughed <laughs> out loud. And then I got really serious, and my eyes got big like saucers. Yeah. And I thought, that that could be it. Mm. That could be it. mm so uh, after that uh, little epiphany experience, you I know, mean, I finished out the the year, and then I just went back home, and um, worked, you know, got some some jobs, worked at a bakery, you know, uh, uh, restaurant work, uh, things of that nature. While I slowly began to learn more about my faith, I began to slowly become more involved in uh, things in the parish. There was a retreat that some of the my parents didn't go on this retreat, but a lot of my friends' parents did. You know, we were all, you know, now in our early twenties, and you know, our our parents were everybody knew each other in this little town. So Mm -hmm. some of these parents went off to a a Catholic charismatic retreat at the Franciscan University of Steubenville Mm -hmm. one summer, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and they came back just on fire for Christ Mm -hmm. and lives that were transformed, and uh, it was kind of a curiosity for us in our little town to see people get prayed over and <laughs> yeah. slain in the spirit <laughs> yeah. you know so that was really uh, something that was very different from what we'd normally experienced you know in some of our very sober masses there uh,
0: mm-hmm. in
1: that in that church so they they told us that there would be a similar type of retreat offered for uh, young men and women our age and of course they encouraged us to go you know to Steubenville the, mm-hmm, yes mm-hmm. so we, we mm-hmm. went to we went to the Franciscan University of Steubenville and I had not Gone that far from my home ever, so yeah, that was yeah. a big, big four-hour trip. Yeah. <laughs> you know, wow, big city. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we got there, and uh, immediately upon arriving, and in the days in the days before leaving, I kept thinking that I really wanted something to happen. So I went into this uh, retreat with expectations, or, or not knowing what to expect, but I wanted something to happen, and I didn't quite know what it was. So uh, we got there late and one of the uh, conferences was already going on at that time they were having these conferences under a, a large tent mm-hmm. a red and white striped tent and chairs up underneath and a you know stage in the in the front there mm-hmm. So we were all standing in the back and then the, the 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 person who was giving the conferences I don't remember who that was now but they invited all of us who had been standing in the back to come in mm-hmm. to come closer mm-hmm. you know those that feel like you're on the fringes mm-hmm. of the church or on the fringes of a friendship with the Lord Jesus come forward. So my friends began to look around for chairs and where we could all sit together, and I thought, if I'm going to hang around with these people, I am not going to get anything out of this because mm-hmm. we're just going to have a good time yeah, yeah, and laugh and cut up. So I, I found a seat right in the front row. It was just one open seat, you know, and I think the, the Lord had that one saved yeah. for me. <laughs> yeah. and, and so I went and I sat right down in that chair, and, and really the whole rest of that weekend I spent— Kind of apart from the other ones, Hmm. so I could really pray and really listen to what the Lord Jesus had to say. Um, One afternoon, I uh, I wanted to pray the Rosary, and I didn't even remember how. So I thought, man, I don't even know how to pray the Rosary. What kind of Catholic guy am I? (laughs) And then there was a little. I just looked down and there was a little brochure right next to me with that how to pray the Rosary. I thought, all right, here we go. So I was able to to do that and to reflect on the mysteries of the, of the life of the Lord Jesus and asking for hints from our lady who knew him best. Mm-hmm. So that was a great, uh, a great day. Then Saturday evening came and after a whole day of praying together and singing together and hearing fantastic, uplifting conferences, then the evening, evening session came and the priest suggested that, uh, at a given moment in the evening, when, when he, he told us we should, we could stand up on our place or, or we could, uh, sit there, and but say something that the Holy Spirit was placing on our hearts. So people would begin to stand up and shout out all these things, you know, praising the Lord in various ways. And at this, at this point, I was with those, those friends of mine, and I thought, I'm going to think I'm nuts mm. if I do this. So, <laughs> so I, I stood up in my chair, and I don't know where, no idea where this came from, but I said, I am a servant of the Lord and here to do his will. Inside me, I was very quiet and very mm-hmm. still, and then I began to hear, I don't know how to describe it, uh, but the way I try to talk about it is, I heard all the catechism classes that I'd ever been to, I heard all the teachings of the church, all the homilies that I'd ever listened to, sort of in a, in a I don't know, a line or a wave, and then mm-hmm. over that was, there was a, a voice that was arching over them, saying to me, it's true, it's all true, Hm. Mm. Uh, and then my knees began to 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 shake you know but it wasn't cold cuz it was july in ohio uh-huh. <laughs> and it's hot and humid there let me tell you yeah. <laughs> july in ohio so they were they were shaking and it was in this moment that god gave me a gift of faith strengthened my faith and from then on it's just been going forward so then when i got back to the my home parish well i was excited and enthusiastic and even threw myself more into parish life i began to be a, a reader of hmm. Mass. I began to get involved with teaching the religious education to the the high schoolers that were there. All of that, you know, reading about the faith more and more, taking time to pray, to be alone with the Lord Jesus in the in the church and whatnot. So all of that uh, prepared me for um, entering into a seminary experience. And what year is this, Father, at this point? Oh, let me think about that. 1994. Okay, so I, I, I entered the seminary in 1995.
0: And you entered the seminary, and this was the seminary for the legionaries.
1: Yes, I entered, um, I entered the, the, the novitiate uh, of the Legionaries of Christ, and novitiate is just a fancy name for the place where those who are new learn about religious life. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people ask me, well, what's the difference between a diocesan priest and a, or in a religious order priest? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, uh, in a religious order priest, there are young men who are drawn by the teachings and the inspiration of, uh, of their founder, like St. Benedict, the experience that he had with the Lord Jesus, or St. Dominic mm-hmm. um, you know, of the Dominicans, or St. Um, Francis mm-hmm. of Assisi of the Franciscans, or St. Ignatius of, of Loyola of the Jesuits. Mm-hmm. They're attracted to that spirituality. They're attracted to the example and life of that man, and they enter that particular religious family. Mm-hmm. And they learn more about the mission of that particular group, and then they dedicate themselves uh, to, to training and formation and that, uh, to, to spread that then as a, as a priest. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's the, the religious order kind of a priest. Mm-hmm. Now, living together in community, gathered around a particular set of spiritual gifts that the founder had received from the Lord Jesus, and their mission is to pass that on then to the, the community at large and those that they're in contact with. Now, as a diocesan priest, men uh, feel that call to serve in a parish, specifically, and they have a chance to talk with the vocation director of their diocese. They meet with the bishop, and then if all goes well, they're accepted into the diocesan seminary. So they live together in community in the seminary. They get together, they pray together, they study together, um, all those things. And then when they are ordained uh, to the priesthood, then they will be living at the parish, in the parish house, not in a community anymore, and then leading that parish community into a greater love for the Lord Jesus Christ. So I hope that kind of explains a little bit.
0: Yeah, I think so. And I would, I would add that, you know, there's a discernment process that certainly goes into this. You know, if you're 18 years old, 24 years old, 44, 54 years old, however old you are, you know, you have to go before God and ask God that question. Okay, Lord, where are you calling me to? Are you calling me to um, serve in my home diocese? Or are you calling me to essentially live in community life? Because you spoke to it beautifully there. I mean, it's it's a matter of, you know, what God is calling you to as it relates to maybe what spiritual gifts you are called to share, and especially when you start talking about rubbing shoulders with some brothers for the course of, well, your whole life. <laughs> you know, especially if you're in a if you're in a house where there's, you know, 12, 15, 20 guys. I have a sister who's a Carmelite cloistered nun, so a sister who's a sister, as I'd like to say, and I, I often get the question, what's it like for her to to live as a as a kind of hermit well she really doesn't yes she's cloistered which means she does not go out and serve i mean her service is is prayer and and work behind closed doors uh, so it's a very unique vocation but she's one of 15 16 sisters i don't know exactly at last count but and so she has literally 15 sisters. I mean, I grew up as one of 11 kids. She now has more siblings, if you will. So, um, and as she talks about it, I have the chance to go up and talk to her. And, you know, there's not a whole lot that's different, minus, of course, the intense prayer. But even growing up, we tried to pray together as a family. And so yeah, she's not flying solo up there in Georgetown, California, <laughs> with her um, religious experience. So She is made to grow in the very concrete situation that she finds herself in. And that concrete situation is living with uh, 15 other sisters. So there's a great challenge, uh, uh, one that came out of an invitation for her. I love that word you used. And I wanted to go back to that, actually, Um, Father. You were talking about invitation. You were talking about friendship. Um, How important is that? I mean, when you think about it critically— Why is friendship so important? Well, trust. Before we can give our yes to God, I mean, there has to be some aspect of trust, right? Trust is the most concrete act and virtue of faith. It builds the bridge that can hold the weight of truth. I mean, I loved that description of of your discernment and how God was speaking to you. You know, it is true. I love that line because ultimately that is reality and maybe what's most important is that you heard it and you were able to hear it i think father because of trust trust it could bear the weight of the the truth behind the statement it is true so father you joined the legionnaires then okay and but you're now a diocesan priest
1: yes i joined the legionaries when i was 25 and that was back in 1995 and I really felt um, inspired by their example. They, they just loved the church's teachings. They loved the church. Mm. Uh, it seemed like they had just such a positive way to see the world and the, the, the new evangelization, a new reaching out to men and women with the message of the gospel. Um, I loved the way the priest said their, their mass, uh, mm. just with a real, a real reverence and a respect for uh, the Lord Jesus that I hope I'm, I'm, I still um, am able to convey in the way that I say mass. So that was really something that was special. These great, great young men, good guys uh, from all over the country coming together with really similar interests, Mm. um, all wanting to really serve the Lord Jesus. Um, I was with the Legionaries for a total of 17 years. Uh, I was ordained in 2005. My first um, assignment as a priest was at a boys' boarding school uh, in Edgerton, Wisconsin, that the Legionaries ran. I was out there for nine months. Hmm. And then I was transferred out here uh, to uh, California. So I lived in Sacramento um, at, at the uh, shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe. That was our base. The legionaries were running that uh, shrine downtown. Mm-hmm. And uh, there were about oh, 10 or 12 of us. went from nine to 12, you know in the about the five years that I was there with them. And it was during that, those, those years that I began to feel that I needed something different, like the Lord Jesus, you know, who had called me to the priesthood who had called me to the legionaries, was now calling me to something else mm. uh, outside of a community living, mm-hmm. uh, you know, together with those other men. So I, uh, you know, had some transition time. Uh, then I, I, you know, asked Bishop Soto if he'd be kind enough to, you know, accept me perhaps in the diocese here, and he was willing to give me that chance. So I went, my first assignment was at Holy Family Parish in Citrus Heights. So I was there for two years as a vicar, and then here now in Chico since January, as the um, uh, pastor, so somebody sometimes people ask me, well, what's the difference between being a parochial vicar and being the pastor? Well, it, as the parochial vicar is when you're you're the the helper priest, yeah, you yeah. know, and so <laughs> you don't really make decisions. You know, mm-hmm. none of the decisions really fall on the vicar, and so everybody loves him. Everybody mm-hmm. loves the parochial vicar, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. because he's he doesn't, he doesn't have to ever be the bad guy. <laughs> yeah. Right. But as the, as the pastor, you know, sometimes you have to make a decision that's difficult, you know, or things happen. And the, the pastor is ultimately the, the one that's always responsible. I mean, that's kind of the downside of it. And I don't want to seem like that's a negative thing at all, but, uh, cause on the contrary, what a, <clears throat> what a beautiful thing it is to, to try to lead God's people with the help of the Lord Jesus himself, gain, mm-hmm. gaining inspiration from him mm-hmm. uh, and, and trying to put the gospel into practice with you know, this larger community that's out there, so.
0: Yeah. So, Father Jason, you're just not Jason Clark, you're Father Jason Clark, you know, and I, I get into a number of conversations with my uh, non-Catholic and Catholic friends about uh, the language we use, you know, Father Jason. Uh, could you speak to that and maybe even respond to the question a little bit? Well, doesn't Jesus say something about, uh, call no one your father?
1: Yeah, that's one of those questions. I've often looked that up, you know, in the apologetics books. What (laughs) do you you say to someone who says, call no man father? And I I think, well, what do you call your dad?
0: Yep. You know, do
1: you call your dad by his first name? Mm -hmm. You know, do you call him Mr. Jones? I think what the Lord is trying to tell us in this gospel passage is to remember that um, the ultimate fatherhood, the ultimate sonship and daughtership that we experience is rooted in the one who created us, and that the stronger— fatherhood bond comes there that that he is the the true father our true creator Mm -hmm. and that we can't give that kind of attribution to anyone else Mm -hmm. than god to give god his due honor Mm -hmm. for making us i'm I'm an armchair theologian okay we'll put it that way (laughs) that seems to me uh the way that i would say it you know if i was one of these apologetics guys on the radio all the time like present company included you know, yeah. <laughs> I, I would have more, more of that. Um, but I don't, know if that, if, I don't know if that's any no, help that,
0: there. That, no, no, that's beautiful. And, and, you know, I just was wanting to get your experience in asking that question because you're right. I mean, your spiritual fatherhood, my biological fatherhood radiates out of God's fatherhood. And certainly, apologetically, you know, Jesus was criticizing the Jewish leaders who love, as Matthew 23 notes, huh, the place of honor at feasts. And the best seats in the synagogues, you know, and salutations in, in the marketplaces, and being called rabbi by, by men. You know, his admonition here uh, specifically is a response to the Pharisees' proud hearts and their grasping uh, after marks of status and and prestige. Certainly, Paul, um, all throughout his epistles, talks about how he himself is a father. So, calling you father, Jason, there's nothing wrong with it, and it's something that as Christians we've done for. For 2,000 years. And, you know, I've shared with with our listening audience, Father Jason, that I had discerned. Uh, you talked about religious life. I had discerned the priesthood with the Franciscans. I was, I went through a novitiate experience and I lived um, for about eight months with 22 other priests and uh, 22 great men, um, men of virtue, men of holiness, uh, but men <laughs> who, who struggled with their concupiscent appetite, you know, their inclination to sin as much as anyone else, right? But they were struggling in grace. And uh, I've got to imagine that, uh, again, as you were talking, I was thinking about this, you know, um, you're faced with challenges. And so part of your discernment, part of your vocation, is uh, the way in which God calls you to be, in the words of Matthew Kelly, a better version of yourself, (laughs) you know, how... Each and every day, each and every morning, you wake up, and here we go, another day uh, in which to serve the people of God. I love that line, you are servant of God, you know, when you're at that conference. And there's going to be challenges in that service.
1: Well, there's a couple of things that come to mind when you said that about being the better version of ourselves. And uh, one thing that St. John Paul II would often talk about was that tension in our lives between the person that we are and the person that we're called to be, and that that is a healthy tension. Mm hmm. And, and then uh, it, it also made me think back to that moment in that dorm room. OK, God, what do you want me to do? Mm. You know, well, you could be a priest. Mm. So it, it is as if, uh, you know, there's many there are many ways that we could live our lives and, and all still be filled with grace. You know, um, a man could get married. Uh, a man could remain single. You know, a man might become a priest or, or even a religious brother um, and, and still have a very close friendship with the Lord Jesus. But what if, you know, just what if uh, that God, you know, among all those choices, what if God would have one that He hoped we would choose? Mm-hmm. What if He hoped there was one that He particularly hoped that we had our spiritual ears open to and connected with to become, like you just said, that that best version of, of ourselves? Mm-hmm. So I I sometimes reflect on that and and think think about that.
0: Yeah, there's always going to be a gap between the person. That we are and the person that we ought to be. In that gap is is the way in which we are called to witness um, in, in our faith. And the other word that I, I guess stands out to me right now, uh, Father Jason, I don't know if this word strikes you, but adventure, you know, saying yes to God is an adventure. You know, as you talk about, what if? You know, what if I did this? What if I did that? Well, if we say yes, We can come to know more of God's love, and in coming to know more of God's love, there's a sense of excitement and enthusiasm in that, and a sense of adventure.
1: And I think in the church, too, uh, it's it's really a sense of an adventure that we share, Mm -hmm. you know, that um, not just priests or or, or sisters um, or religious brothers that have the adventure, but um, that we together with the lay people have an adventure, the adventure of, of, of being part of God's family, the the adventure of living a life of virtue mm. in a world where vice is exalted—that mm. um, so and that makes virtue all the more interesting, mm-hmm. I think, um, in our world today. That answers what you. Yeah,
0: hearing. yeah, no, I, I'm thinking of um, Fulton Sheen, who, who once said, you know, when I see someone struggling with vice or just caught up in themselves and doing whatever they want to do, he says, how boring. How boring is that, <laughs> as you're talking I'm thinking about that, you know? As opposed to someone who's living for God at the service of others, constantly looking for ways in which to be a better version of who God is calling us to be, and at the same time, at the service of the church. Now, that's exciting. You know, that's something exciting, and that's something um, we should shoot for. And in light of all of this, um, Father Jason, it does bring us back to Uh, that great theme of witness, because uh, we do witness to our faith and that yes, and embracing that sense of adventure, uh, that that adventure that uh, lies in between, uh, that lies in the gap, rather, of uh, the person we are and the person we ought to be each and every day. Amen. And so uh, with that, Father Jason, I'm looking up at the clock, and uh, we are out of time. And so thank you for the gift of your time. I know not only your parishioners over at St. John the Baptist Catholic Church are very much appreciative of uh, you joining me today and you sharing your story, but those um, beyond the diocese, I think it is very encouraging for all the Christian faithful to hear your story that has been so profoundly uh, touched and moved by uh, the Holy Spirit. So thank you. Well,
1: you're welcome. And. I guess if it's if it's okay, could I give a blessing to everybody that might be listening?
0: Amen. Hey, of course. Of all course. right.
1: <laughs> well, this this is a blessing, and may Almighty God bless you all in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.